you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to grab the one that's in that rack right in front of you, you can turn to page 46, uh, and that is where you will find uh, our passage uh, this, uh, this morning. And, uh, and while you're turning there, uh, it's a new year, but what I'm about to say has not changed. Uh, which is that uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, maybe you're uh, cuddled up uh, with, a, with a blanket in front of your TV watching us online right now, uh, we want you to know right from the start uh, that we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, uh, inerrant in the, originally, in the original manuscripts and then sovereignly preserved for us through the generation so that through the reading of this book and the illumination of his spirit, we believe that we can know God and we can worship him, we can follow him, uh, we can obey him, and we believe so much in the sufficiency of God's word that we don't think that what I'm about to say today matters at all unless it agrees with what God's word says. We want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't matter what I think, what matters is what the Bible says, so what the Bible says needs to become what we think. And, and just so you know, if you come to the conclusion that the Bible is the word of God and has authority over your life, that has some dramatic implications for how you live. So I don't just want you to take my word for it, but I, I want you to know where we stand. Our cards are on the table. This is why we want you to see God's word for yourself today in Exodus, because this is what matters. This is God's truth. This is what changes us. And I wanted to start the year by going back uh, to one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, a little over seven years ago, I turned to Exodus 3, the Sunday after Pastor Tim Woodard had moved to North Carolina. And, and now I stand here after we have just said goodbye to Pastor John and the Heister Camp family. And I should say, before we go too far, far that I, I thought last Sunday was just a great day uh, for our church uh, celebrating all that God has done over the last six years, showering Pastor John and Anna with love. I I'm so thankful for the church family that we have here at FBC, and I felt like that was just on full display last week. And so thank you uh, for all that you've done uh, for the Heister camps as we've wished them well and wished them off to New York. And at the same time, well, as great as that was, I also know transitions are really hard, and, and change is hard. And so I'm hoping, in light of this moment, that we will be encouraged by the truth that it might be a new season for our church, and, and it might be a new year, but we have the same God. We have the same God. And we know that to be true. We know that we have the same God because of how God revealed himself, especially in the book of Exodus. Uh, those of you who were here a few years ago, when we walked through this entire book, know that the main character in the book of Exodus is God. It is, it is God. And, and, and Exodus is about the God who makes himself known. God comes to the center of the stage of human history. He puts all the spotlights on himself and says, this is who I am. Look at me. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, this, this, is, this is what I'm about to accomplish and, and from this, we learn that we don't get to determine who God is or what he is like. A lot of people think that they can do that. They get to decide what God's like. They get to decide who he is. No, no, no. No, God tells us who he is. God has revealed to us what he is like. That's why he wrote a book about himself that we call the Bible so we can know who he really is, so he can reveal himself to us. Now, now having said all of that, 
As we come to chapter 3 in the book of Exodus, it's important to know that through the first two chapters of this book, God had yet to show up in an obvious way. So the first two chapters of Exodus are marked by evil rather than good, by disappointment rather than joy, by pain rather than healing. And it's not like Exodus 1 and 2 cover a couple weeks or a couple months or even a couple years of time. No, God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, who had received the covenant promise from God to become a great nation, had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. But despite all of that, and by the way, 400 years is a long time, right? That's a long time to not have any good news. That's a long time to just be in pain and suffer. That's a long time. But despite all of that, we have these words of hope that set the stage for Exodus chapter 3. This is Exodus 2, 23 through 25. I have it here on the screen as well. Uh, These are the last three verses of chapter 2. During those days, many, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God knew. Here's the question. What happened that caused Moses to look back on this time in Israel's history and say, even while we were in Egypt, even while Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians, God heard and God remembered and God saw and God knew. Because that is the opposite of how we often feel in crisis, isn't it? When we are in crisis, how do we feel? We, we feel like God doesn't listen. We feel like God doesn't see. We feel like he forgets. He doesn't know. He doesn't really care, right? That, that's how we feel, especially when the crisis lasts for a long time. But chapter 3 is the beginning of God proving that he does, in fact, hear and remember and see and know, even when we don't feel like he does. So this section of Exodus, chapter 3 through the middle of chapter 4, is probably familiar to many of you because it's the story of Moses and the burning bush. It's one of my favorite passages to preach on. And in this story, we're going to see Moses question God's calling. He's really going to give a lot of excuses for not doing what God wants. And God uses Moses' excuses as an opportunity to reveal his character to Moses and then to us today. God is going to make himself known. So let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into chapter 3. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that that it's the same. It doesn't change because you are the same. And you don't change. And so we want to see you. We want to see who you have revealed yourself to be to us. And we want to see how your character changes the way we view ourselves and our lives. And so would you change us, transform us from the inside out as we see the truth of your word right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his, father Jethro, of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, 
yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Don't don't miss this. God is not your homeboy, okay? God is not your buddy-buddy friend that we just chill and hang out with. If that's your view of God, then your view of God isn't big enough yet. The God of the Bible is both welcoming and frightening. He's both, both welcoming and frightening. He is both inviting and terrifying. And it's an amazing truth of Scripture that God is both transcendent and also imminent, which means that he's both above us and he is among us. And we tend to highlight his presence uh, because it's, it's comforting to us. We, we like that. Uh, we tend to highlight that especially at Christmas, don't we? Emmanuel, God with us. And, and he's so approachable when we picture him as this baby in a manger. But when we recognize that that same God who is present is also transcendent, that is when we have an awe-inspiring, awe-inspired view of God that we should have. We, we are told that this encounter between Moses and God takes place on what would become known as the mountain of God. So here it is called Mount Horeb, but it is also known as Mount Sinai. Same, same mountain. So this is the first of a few meetings between God and Moses on this mountain, which is why it became known as the mountain of God. And I just have to say, the snow right now is incredible. I'm trying to stay focused, but I look outside. We could just take a minute and look. Man, it is beautiful outside. Uh, My kids are pumped up about the snow, by the way. We already made one snowman. I I think we might go on a snow hike this afternoon. Uh, Boy, it's gorgeous out there. Okay, this is is great. I'm going to try to stay right here because if I just start looking that way, I'm going to lose my place really Really quick. So, so when we think about Moses, we think about a man who had unbelievable access to God, right? We think about this encounter. You can think about him receiving the Ten Commandments. When he's back on this mountain, on Mount Sinai, no one else is allowed to touch the mountain. Moses is up there getting the Ten Commandments from God. We, there's another passage about him seeing God's glory. And, and what is easy to forget is all of those events took place after the first 80 years of Moses' life. In Exodus 3, Moses is 80 years old, and he's really meeting God for the very first time. Because no matter how old you are, God wants to meet you, and God wants to use you. And God met Moses in a unique way, through a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't being burnt up. And and, and just so you know, if you need a natural explanation for everything that happens, then you're going to really struggle with the book of Genesis. You're going to struggle with this message today. You're going to really struggle with the whole Bible because the Bible tells us that we have a supernatural God. 
We have a God who interrupts the natural laws of the universe that he himself established and is sovereign over. So, so yes, when a bush is on fire, it should burn. That's what should happen unless the God who is sovereign over those natural laws says otherwise, which he is doing here. And so when you are a shepherd in the wilderness, I'm guessing much less interesting things get your attention than a bush on fire but not being consumed. And so Moses goes to check this out, and he's about to get a lot more than he bargained for because out of the fiery bush comes a voice. And the voice knows his name, right? And, and the voice that speaks to Moses is identified three different ways in this passage. As the angel of the Lord, as the Lord in all caps, you'll see in your Bible, and simply as God. And I believe that this is what many call a Christophany, uh, which is the Old Test- an Old Testament appearance of the pre-incarnate second member of the Trinity. So I believe that this is God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, speaking in this Old Testament passage. Uh, this summer, we went through the I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And Exodus 3, I believe, contains the original I Am statement of Jesus, which we are going to see in this passage. But first, look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You say them fast so that you don't know if you mess them up. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. It's go time, Moses. Let's do this thing, right? It's time to go. Notice, as he goes through, he says, I have seen and I have heard and I know. Let's do this. And if you are someone who tends to make a lot of excuses, Moses is going to be very relatable for the next few minutes. My kids are not good at making excuses, but they sure do practice a lot. <laughs> they, they try, they try, uh, they practice every day. Uh, a week ago, uh, Zayden, our youngest, had a, had a small ear infection, and after a couple of days of an antibiotic, he was good to go. Uh, but fast forward to Friday, and I asked Zayden to help me clean up the toy room. And Zayden pauses and gets sad. He says, My ear hurts. <laughs> which it didn't, it didn't hurt anymore, but that was the only excuse he'd come up with, which I probably deserved because my go-to excuse as a kid for not cleaning up was my tummy doesn't want to. Um, that, that's what I always said. All of a sudden, I had a huge tummy ache anytime I was supposed to help clean up as a kid, and now, I'm, now my kid has an ear infection, apparently, as soon as I asked him to clean the toy room. Uh, so sometimes it's nice to come to the Bible and realize that these larger-than-life characters have the same struggles that we do. And when we look at the Bible, we see people who are just as sinful and messed up as us, and we see a a God who's so much greater than all of us. And so we're going to see Moses' excuses and then God's responses. Here's Moses' first excuse in verse 11. But Moses said to God, 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses' first excuse is, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. Uh, This question might seem relatively reasonable on the surface. Moses questions his worthiness. He doubts his significance. He does not think he is qualified for this job. It's relatable. It's relatable. We, we, we might be really good at hiding it, but we all struggle with self-doubt to a degree. We live with insecurities about who we are and wonder if we measure up to the standard of others. Maybe that's the standard of your boss or your spouse or your parents or your kids, maybe even yourself. Uh, you wonder if you could ever meet those standards. And, and knowing Moses' story from Exodus 2 makes his response really interesting because there probably was a time when Moses thought he was the man for this job, right? He, was, he probably thought he was going to be the rescuer. He was going to free his Hebrew people from slavery. If you know about Moses' background, you know that he grew up in royalty as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but also knowing his Hebrew roots as well. But then it all went horribly wrong. He was rejected by the Hebrews And Pharaoh wanted him dead because he had killed another Egyptian to protect a Hebrew. And he grew up in the palace, and suddenly he had no home. He didn't fit anywhere anymore. The one who was supposed to rescue ran away. He was 40 when he had fled from Egypt. Now Moses is 80 years old and a shepherd for his father-in-law. So he spent 40 years as a shepherd. 40 years to think about everything that had gone wrong. Think about what he would have done differently. So Moses at one time thought he was going to be the deliverer, but he probably thought that he had blown his opportunity. Now he's just a has-been. He's a what-could-have-been. He's like so many, living with the regrets of past mistakes and letting them affect his present and future behavior. Here's God's response to Moses in verse 12. God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God's response to Moses was, I am with you. I'm going to be with you. So God doesn't respond by contradicting Moses' statement about himself. Often, when we're trying to encourage someone who's putting themselves down, right, we'll just say the opposite of whatever they're saying about themselves. I, I think teenage girls are especially good at this, by the way, right? If, if, a, if, if a girl's putting herself down, you know, her friends, they form this encouragement huddle, you know, and they just start telling her the opposite of what she's saying about herself and telling her how much they love her eyebrows and wish they had them themselves, and, and they're good at it. Um, and, and that's great, that's great. But when God responds to Moses... He doesn't contradict Moses' statement. He doesn't tell Moses that he is worthy. He doesn't tell Moses that his self-assessment is wrong. He instead tries to take Moses' focus off of himself and put it onto him. You might not be qualified, Moses, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to be with you. Your sense of worth and qualification doesn't come from yourself. It comes from me. Our worth and qualification doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. The fact that I will be with you, Moses, is what makes you qualified. 
And so this week I've been asking myself the question, is God's presence enough for me? It's just knowing that he is with me enough. Do I trust the sufficiency of his presence? Moses wasn't sure yet. He had some more questions. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? Moses' next excuse is, I don't know enough. I don't, I, don't, I don't know enough. He's worried he's not going to have all the answers. He's worried that the Israelites are going to question him and, and how Moses has the authority to lead them. Does fear that we'll be asked a question about God that we don't know the answer to keep us from talking about him with others? Does it keep us from doing what God's called us to do? I think it does. And so Moses here is asking God to describe himself. When he, he's asking God what his name is, he's asking for a description of God. That's how names were used, especially then. And so Isaac, you might remember, was, was, was named because his name meant laughter. Isaac means laughter because Abraham and Sarah laughed at the idea of having a baby. Esau, his name meant hairy, right? Because he came out all hairy and red. Moses' name meant to draw out Because Pharaoh's daughter had drawn him out of the water. So Moses is saying, what can I tell the people about you so they understand who you really are? And what authority I'm being sent under? And God's response to this question is one of the most important truths in all of the Bible. Verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God's response is, I am the I am. I am the I am. This is the original I am statement of Jesus. This revelation becomes the foundation for how the Israelites and we today are to understand who our God really is. Because God says, this is my name forever. Right? Not temporarily, not just for now. No, this is my name forever throughout all generations. This is how we are to know who our God is. This is how God describes himself I am the I am. Uh, that's the third person form of the Hebrew root word haya, which is I am the one who is. In other words, God's credentials are himself. God's credentials are himself. So we usually point to titles or positions or degrees or experiences to reinforce our authority. So I might say, as a pastor, or as the parent of three boys, and then give a perspective that's based on those experiences. When God has to appeal to authority, he appeals to himself, which is pretty awesome, right? That, 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 that's, that's pretty cool. It, it would be like saying, well, as me, I say this, and I'm right because I am the I am. You'd be a crazy person if you talk that way, right? Because you're not the I am, right? But God is. But God is. God is totally sufficient within himself. 
That's what he's saying. He is the one who is. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. He is Lord. He is the present tense God. Which means that we don't just serve a God who is distant and disconnected from our problems and struggles. He wanted the Israelites to know that he heard their cries for deliverance. He remembered his promises. He saw their distress and he knew he was present with them. In the midst of their hopeless situation, God wanted his people to know that the I am is with them. In the Hebrew language, the verb tense here uh, implies continuing unfinished action. It's an active presence because God never zones out and God is never daydreaming. He doesn't get distracted by the snow that's so beautiful around us. He has a present active role in our lives. So we don't just serve a God who's simply done a bunch of things in the past, a God who has been, and we don't simply serve a God who will be, God who will do a bunch of things in the future. We don't serve a God who was or will be. We serve a God who is. Do we believe that? We serve a God who is. We serve a present tense God. He is involved and active in our lives now. So we don't just serve a God who was with other people in the past, a God who was with Abraham and Moses, and yeah, there's all these great stories in the Bible of all that God did back then. No, God is present now. He is active now. He wants to work through us to accomplish his plan now. And so God is trying to get Moses to stop basing his willingness to act on his own self-assessment and instead base it on the God who is. And then God continues for the rest of this chapter, the rest of chapter 3, explains to Moses exactly what was going to happen when he went to Egypt. The Israelites were going to listen to Moses, but Pharaoh won't until God has performed the ten plagues, after which the Israelites won't just be allowed to leave Egypt. The Egyptians are going to give them parting gifts. They're going to be like, please go. Take our gold, take our silver, take our clothes, right? And, and God had all of this planned out. It was all under control. It was all about the present tense God and what he was going to do. But Moses still had questions. So let's jump ahead to chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 1 is when Moses interrupts God again. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me right? or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So Moses can't get past himself, right? He says, I'm not believable. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. After all that God had just revealed about himself, Moses can't get past his own self. He's hesitant to follow God's instructions because he questions his believability. God, this didn't go well for me 40 years ago when I tried, and now I'm just a crazy old shepherd that saw something in the wilderness, right? Who's going to believe me? And, and it's important to remember, Moses is having this conversation in a desert with a burning bush, right? It was pretty funny to think about. I think the sheep might have been having a good time. Like, this, this is pretty interesting, what's, what's going on here. I would have loved to have been able to watch this play out. Uh, and God's response to Moses' third question would have been a pretty funny scene. This, this is the part that you would have wanted to be able to watch. Because verses 2 through 9 to, uh, tell us about how God tells Moses to throw his staff on the ground. So Moses throws a staff on the ground, and what does it become? It becomes a snake. So now Moses, 
80 years old, is running away from his staff that is now a snake. (laughs) And just a side note, I think David was a better shepherd than Moses because David killed a lion and a bear. Moses ran away from a snake, okay? So if you just want to compare the two, which, okay, uh, David over Moses if he's going to watch my sheep, just so you know. So, uh, so Moses is running away from this snake, and God tells him to pick it up by the tail, which is not how you pick up a snake, by the way, but Moses does it and becomes a staff again. Then God tells Moses to put his hand inside his cloak. Moses does. He pulls it out, and it becomes leprous. <laughs> what are you doing to me? And then he puts it back in, pulls it out again, and it is healed. And God says, do those when you go to Egypt, and they'll believe you. And if they don't believe that, just turn the Nile River into blood, and it's all going to be okay. Okay, that's, that's, that's verses 2 through 9. God's point is, is, I know you might not be believable, but I'm going to work through you. I'm going to work through you. Once again, it's not about Moses. It's about God and what God is going to do. And I just wonder how often we put ourselves down instead of trusting God to work through us. And after all of that, after his staff becomes a snake, and after his hand is leprous and is then healed again, after all these promises, Moses is still not convinced. Boy, if, you, if you're stubborn and you take a lot of convincing, this passage is for you. Look at verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. I don't have the ability. I don't have the ability. I I don't know if this was a legitimate excuse or not, or if Moses was just trying to think of anything to get out of it. I mean, he's talking back to a burning bush, so he obviously has speaking ability here. Um, But he just puts down his own ability, like we often do. That's just not my gift. I'm just not good at that. You have to see God's response if you find yourself putting down your own ability to not do what God has called you to do. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Hmm. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go. I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Hmm. God's response to Moses is, I created you. I created you. I'm your creator. I didn't make a mistake. I gave you everything you need to fulfill my plan for your life. And I wonder how often we sadden God by how we put down and marginalize his most precious creation, ourselves, humanity. And I just think he wants to say, since I created you, don't you think I gave you everything that you need? to carry out my plan for your life. If the God who is sovereign over all created us with a plan, I think he created us with his plan for us in mind. So if it's his plan for you, he created you to be able to do it while relying on him. And if you think back to Moses' upbringing, you could argue he was uniquely qualified for this job, right? He, 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 He had grown up in the palace. He knew both the Hebrew side and the Egyptians. He was uniquely prepared for this very thing. So I don't believe God calls us to do something totally abstract from our abilities, but he always calls us to rely on his sufficiency rather than our own. I think we get to the heart of the issue in verse 13, though. This is Exodus 4, 13. 
but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. (laughs) I don't want to go, right? That's the heart of it, isn't it? I I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. And I wonder how often we give all sorts of excuses and rationalizations when the bottom line reality is we just don't want to do it. We just don't want to go. We just don't want to do it. Please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. That's a subtle burn there by the burning bush. (laughs) He's a good speaker, right? Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth. And with his mouth, I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth. So God's going to be Moses' mouth, and Moses is going to be Aaron's mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Throwing it down and his hand turning into blood and turn, uh, turning the Nile River into blood, his hand turning leprous. Here's the staff. Make sure you use this. And as we look at this, I, I, I appreciate Moses' struggle because it's pretty relatable. It's pretty relatable because Moses never directly questioned who God was. On the surface, he was always questioning himself. Who am I? I don't know enough. No one will listen. I don't have the ability But as we look at this text, we see who Moses was really questioning, don't we? He's questioning God. And I think most of us, especially if you grew up in church, could accurately describe God's characteristics. You could tell me all about who God is. You could describe his characteristics. But we struggle to apply who God is to our view of ourselves and how we live out our lives. So we believe that God is the creator but do you believe that he created you exactly how he wanted you to be? We believe that he's all-powerful, but do you believe that he's powerful enough to work through you? We believe that he has the ability to save someone from the bondage of their sins, but do you believe that he can use you to save your neighbor or coworker or family member? As, as, as we look at this list, do you focus more on the left side Or do you focus more on the right side? Do you focus more on who you think you are? Or do you focus more on who your God is? As we start the new year, I've been thinking about this question. Are we going to live based on our capacity or dependent on God's sufficiency? Are you going to live based on your perception of your capacity? Or are you just going to depend on the sufficiency of our present tense God? I don't want to live my life accomplishing things that are simply within my human capacity because I can't accomplish anything of lasting value that way. This is why Jesus said that we need to abide in him because apart from him, we can do nothing, nothing of lasting value. This is why Jesus had to come to earth, right? Because the most important and basic endeavor of all humanity, our our whole purpose for our existence, to live a life that glorifies the God of the universe, we had all utterly failed to accomplish on our own. 
That's why Jesus had to come on a rescue mission from heaven. Jesus had to live the life that I had failed to live and then die the death that I deserved to die. He took the just punishment for all of my sin on himself at the cross. He he rose from the dead. He conquered sin in the grave. He ascended into heaven, promising to return. This is the good news of the gospel, that despite what we've done, despite who we are, when we place our faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, when we bring our nothing to him and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be my sufficiency. I need you to be the king of my life. That's when all of our sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to our formerly guilty account. We become part of the eternal family of God. The Holy Spirit of God indwells us to empower us. We have a new identity, and it's in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we get to live a life that is outside of our depraved human ability to live. Do we believe that? By the power of Christ, it's not about what we could do on our own. Because we're not on our own anymore. He's with us. Yet for some reason, we still filter our daily decisions through our perceptions of our human capability. Don't we? It's all think, we think about ourselves and what we think that we can do. We find our identity in what we have done instead of what Jesus has done. And if that is you, I have good news for you today. And it's not that you are better than you think you are, but Jesus is so much better than you think he is. The I am is better than we think he is. No matter how high your view of Jesus is, Whether you question his very existence or you've been a follower of Jesus ever since you were little, I want you to know he's even better than you think. He's even better than that. No matter how high it is, he's even better than our our greatest expectations. And he's not outside of us. He is in us. And we are in him. When you read through Exodus, you're reading all that God did outside of Moses just because he's with him. Right? Just God's presence with them, and Moses is doing all these things. We have God in us. If we placed our faith in Him, and we are in Christ, we are in Christ. So I don't want to spend my life trying to show other people how great I am, because I'm not that great. I want to spend my life seeing how great Jesus is. I want to learn more and more about how insufficient in of myself I am, but how sufficient the great I am is. Church, I want us to live lives that say, I'm not, but Jesus is. Let's be a church that believes we have a present tense God. Last week, we got to reflect on what he's done over the last six years. But he's not just a God who's done a bunch of things in the past. He is active now. He is working now. He is moving now. He is saving now. He is rescuing now. And he's even better than we think. I wanted to get to know him better this year. Do you want to get to know him better too? He's better. He's better than we think. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through your word and that you're not outside of us. You're with us. And when we place our faith in you, you indwell us. You empower us to live a life that's outside of what we could do on our own. And so I pray that 2024 would be a year that our lives say, I'm not, but Jesus is. Pray that 2024 would be a year that we find out that you're even better than we think. We learn more and more about the great I am. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for loving us. And I pray that we would depend on you 
and not ourselves. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.